Well, good morning. Welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church. It is great to see all of you here, those who have joined us in person. Lovely to see your faces. And for those who are joining us virtually as well, welcome. We're glad you uh, are with us this morning. I'm uh, Pastor Sean, and I'm very excited to welcome a guest preacher to our pulpit this morning, uh, my friend Reverend Ruth Lemon. Now, I have a, I'll speak cryptically here, uh, but I have a connection with her from our time overseas. She currently serves at an organization here in Grand Rapids that connects missionaries with, and missionary work, people here in Grand Rapids on stateside, with uh, things out in the field. If you are a guest with us this morning, welcome. We're glad you're here. Please be sure to sign the Friendship Register at the end of your aisle. And now I welcome you to greet one another in the traditional Christian exchange. The peace of Christ be with you. Let us share God's peace with one another. Good morning. For news of the church this morning, we have prayer request cards that are in the pew in front of you. Those will be collected during this morning's offering. The church ladies luncheon is scheduled for this Tuesday, October 18th at 1130 at Olive Garden on 28th Street. If you're interested in attending, please RSVP with Maris Rosama. We are collecting coats for children and adults for In the Image. Their mission is to provide hope, dignity, and respect through the best shopping experience that money does not have to buy. Their vision is that everyone in need of clothing and household necessities shops for free in a welcoming environment. Those boxes for collection you will find inside the portico entrance and right outside in the narthex. A strategic planning committee has been created to articulate the goals for our church and develop a plan to achieve these goals. They've organized two methods for obtaining ideas and opinions from Mayflower's members and friends. The first is a survey, which will be sent to all Mayflower members with an email address on file. This survey will ask some questions soliciting your thoughts about where Mayflower is currently and how you would like to see her church move forward. If you're unable to fill out an online survey, you may pick up a hard copy at the church office. The survey will arrive in your inbox during the week of October 23rd. If you don't think that we have your email address on file, you can add that to your line on the Friendship Register. The second way will be within meetings following worship to have open dialogue with Pastor Sean and committee members regarding Mayflower's future. These meetings will be held after church at 1145 on October 30th, November 6th, and November 13th. Please plan to attend one of these meetings if you would like to provide 
oral input. I'd now like to invite our Director of Music, Dr. Julia Brown, forward for our moment for music. The theme of the day, I think, will become obvious as we go through music. Uh, you'll see in the children's anthem and the chancel choir anthem and the middle hymn, Ask, Seek, Knock, Ye Shall Find, you'll see those themes recurring over and over. Um, as for the middle hymn, we have the words printed in today's bulletin. It's the, one, the hymn that follows the sermon. And every so often, I don't find exactly what I'm looking for in our hymnal, and so I look for resources outside of the hymnal that we have in our pews. And today is one of those cases. Carolyn Winfrey Gillette is a Presbyterian uh, minister, and she has many, many hymn uh, texts that she writes to go specifically with certain scripture passages. She has a big online presence, and one of those resources is a worship service based on Sermon on the Mount, and I knew that was out there, so that's where I went searching, and sure enough, I think I found something that will fit. Um, the tune, you will recognize it. We usually sing it to the words, O oh Jesus, I have promised. So hopefully the intro, the intro of the hymn will give you a clue of how that melody goes. Come worship the one who lifts up the weak. Come adore the one who shelters the orphan. Come worship the one who brings back the shunned. Come worship the one who touches the outcast. Come love the one who embraces our broken bodies and forgotten spirits. Come, let us love, let us worship the Lord.
God of light and truth, you are beyond our grasp or conceiving. Before the brightness of your presence, the angels veil their faces. With lowly reverence and adoring love, we acclaim your glory and sing your praise. For you have shown us your truth and love in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray this through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Scripture says that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I invite you now to come before the Lord in a time of confession, first in a moment of silence for individual reflection and confession, and then with a confession spoken together found in your bulletin. Let us bring our sins before the Lord. And now we confess together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in word and deed by what we have done and by what we have not done done. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your wills and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are a forgiven people, and in Jesus Christ, full forgiveness is yours. Be at peace. Amen. Please be seated.
I'd like to invite all the other children worshiping with us to come forward and join us on the front steps. Good morning. It was so wonderful to hear you sing. Thank you for sharing your gifts, third, fourth, and fifth graders. All right, friends, I have a dog, and my dog is big, and he needs lots of walks. So the other day, I was walking my dog, and I found this tree. And when I first saw this tree, I thought, this can't be just one tree. Because if you can see, half of it is green and half of it is orange. So I had to stop my dog, pull him back, and we stood there and we looked at the tree. And sure enough, it was half and half, half green and half orange. So I stopped and took a picture, and I blew it up for our message today. So what do you guys think? Did it start green or did it start orange? Green. It did. Trees start green But then around this time of year, they turn orange and they turn red and yellow. And do you know that they do that because it hurts? So actually, during this time, trees stop getting all the food that they need to stay green. There's less sunlight, it's colder temperatures, and there's less water. So the tree's like, oh, that doesn't feel very good. And so it changes colors. But is the color a better color or a worse color than green? What do you think? Better or worse? Better. I agree. Do you know that there's people that pay money to get on a bus? And the buses take them on a trip? And they go and look at orange trees? They pay money for that. So people want to see and love orange, red, and yellow trees. But the tree went through pain to get there. That's just like us. Oftentimes, we start like green trees, and all things are good, and then something hard or something painful happens, and we have to go through it. But I got to tell you, we get better every time we go through something hard. And we become more and more brilliant in what God has created us to be. Because every time I see these yellow and orange trees, I always tell my kids, oh my gosh, look at that tree. And that's what you guys are too. Every time you get better and better, people are going to stop and look at you and say, oh my gosh, look at you. You are so amazing in how God is using you and you're growing up to be exactly how he created you. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are so thankful for your way and that your way takes us through hard times and difficult times and that we actually get better. May you be with us and may we know that and seek that all the days of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends in the choir, if you want to stand up, all our choir friends, and you are going to go with Miss Abby to take your robes off and then head to Sunday school. If you are a first grader, second grader, third grader, or fourth grader, you can stand up and you're going to go with Mrs. Weiner to Bible Alive. 
Fifth graders, you can head back to your folks to fill out sermon notes. And everyone else gets to go to Bible Beginnings with Mrs. Coster. Good morning. The reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12, and can be found beginning on page 685 in your pew Bible. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and in turn tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you, then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. It's so good to be with you this morning. Thank you for having me. Would you please pray with me as we begin? Gracious God, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would speak to us now through your word and through my words. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and honoring to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, after I graduated from college, I immediately moved to China to teach English. And I was teaching adults, and one of the first courses we were teaching was a survey of North American culture. And during the first week of class, one of the activities was a survey of the different cultural values or characteristics. And we had them do it for what they perceived about North American culture and what they thought about Chinese culture. And I knew that there were going to be a lot of differences. What I was shocked to discover was that my first class, and I think it was repeated when I repeated the lesson, 
is that they perceived that North Americans did not love their children. And I was 22, and I had just left my family back here, and I was fighting back tears. But I got them to talk about, why do you think this? Because I was really surprised. And as they talked about it, they said what they had heard was that American parents kick their kids out at age 18 and don't pay for their college education. And that perceived action, which is less probably accurate than they realized, um, led them to infer that American parents don't love their children. And as the semester went on and I learned more about Chinese culture and they learned more about American culture, we all learned about how our actions reflect the values that we have that are underneath. Americans value independence. So American parents love their children by helping them grow to be independent adults. Chinese culture values the group, so Chinese parents love their children by helping them stay connected to the family group. The values shape the actions. And the actions reflect the values underneath. In the Sermon on the Mount that our reading is from, Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Jesus is essentially describing the new culture of the kingdom of God, both the values of this culture of following Jesus and then the actions that come from those values. And our reading this morning covers a range of topics. And we're getting closer to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is starting to summarize some of the themes that have come before. And in this section, Jesus helps us to see some of the values that are underneath all of the actions that he's been talking about in this Sermon on the Mount. And so to help us to see that value that's underneath, we're actually going to start at the end of today's reading and work backwards towards the beginning. In verses 9 to 11, Jesus uses rhetorical questions to make his point. He says, if a child asks his father for bread, will that father give the child a stone instead? The expected answer, no, of course not. Fathers and mothers will give their child bread if they're hungry. And if a child asks for a fish, will the parents give them a snake? No, of course not. Mothers and fathers will give a fish, or they definitely won't give something that could be harmful, like a snake. And of course, away from these rhetorical questions Jesus is using, there's exceptions for abusive parents. And parents make mistakes, but generally, even imperfect parents know how to give good gifts to their children. They want to give good gifts to their children. And Jesus goes on. If this is how imperfect human parents treat their children, imagine the gifts that God gives to God's children. God, our Father, is perfectly loving and caring because God is good and God is love. So out of God's character, God gives us amazingly good gifts. The best gift that God gives us is love. 
God loves us with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And God doesn't love us from a distance in a general way. God loves each one of us. God's love is a value in the kingdom of God. It gives us new identities as God's beloved people. God's amazing love for us shapes us. In verse 12, Jesus gives us one way that God's love shapes our actions. Jesus says, Therefore, because you have been given good gifts, do to others what you would want them to do to you. Take these good gifts of God and pass them on to other people. Treat others the way you'd like to be treated. And Jesus is not the only teacher to have uttered a statement similar to this, what we call the golden rule. In one example, Confucius, 500 years before Jesus, said, Do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. And he's not the only one. But Jesus is the only one who grounds treating others the way we would like to be treated in who we are in God. We don't treat others well because it's the right thing to do or to get what we want or to earn favor with God. We love because God first loved us. God has given us the amazing gift of love, and that love changes how we treat others. God's love for us might lead us to be more patient with the classmate or the colleague that really, really annoys us. Living from God's love might lead us to speak more, to listen more than we speak and to restrain from giving unsolicited advice. Or living from God's love and treating others as we'd like to be treated might mean thinking not just about our own interests when we decide who to vote for, but considering the community around us. God's good gift of love shapes how we treat others. And then as we look back at verses 7 and 8, we also see how God's goodness shapes how we pray. They say, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Earlier on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, the content for what we pray. In this section, Jesus talks more about how we come in prayer. We can come trusting God's goodness and love. And these verses we know from experience don't always don't promise we always get exactly what we want, but they do assure the doubting disciples both in Jesus day and in our day that we can trust that God loves us and we can trust in God. We come to God and ask and seek and knock because of who God is. Because God is a loving parent who wants to give good gifts. And as I read and studied these verses, they reminded me of 
some of the reading that I've been doing in spiritual formation as I've been working on a certificate in spiritual direction. And there's various phases that we go through as our faith develops, I've learned. And we often hit walls as we go from one stage to another. And as we journey through these seasons of life with God, the ways that we pray and relate to God shift a bit with each season. And generally, as faith develops, it becomes less about doing the right things, following the right leaders, believing the right things. Instead of these kind of external markers of faith, we journey inward with Jesus. Prayer becomes less of us asking God for specific things. We start slowly and leave space and silence to listen to God. Prayer becomes more a part of the relationship with a good, loving, and personal God than a way to get what we want. Ruth Haley Barton, who's a Christian leader and spiritual director, and she's written a lot of books, um, describes how her own practice of intercessory prayer has changed over the years. Instead of elaborate lists or promises to pray for people, she offers that she'll pray for them as God brings them to mind. And as she sits in God's presence, she listens then, who is God bringing to mind? And she says, as individuals or situations come into my awareness, I consciously invite them into that place where God's spirit and my spirit are communing, and we sit together with that person. I don't feel burdened by the need to figure anything out or to say words that indicate I somehow have a handle on the situation or even know what is needed. It is enough to hold them in the love, the rest, and the care of God and to trust God's love for them. Sitting in God's goodness, she trusts God's goodness and care for others, and that God knows what they need better than she does. God's love and goodness shape how we pray. And then working back to the beginning of our text, God's gift of love shapes how we understand and know ourselves and then others and God. Jesus uses vivid images to describe it. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, take out the plank first out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus knew that we humans tend to take on God's perspectives and turn ourselves into judges of others. And he illustrates his point with this pretty memorable image of trying to help someone else take out the little tiny piece 
of sawdust out of their eye when there's a huge plank in our own. And it's a humorous image. Of course, you can't help with a little speck of sawdust when there's a whole plank coming out of your eye. How would you even be able to see? Wouldn't it be obvious that you should get the plank out? And yet, we so often can't see the metaphorical planks in our own eyes. We don't understand ourselves, why we feel or react to situations the way we do. We struggle to see our sins, and we struggle to see our gifts and our abilities. We often don't know ourselves all that well at all. We might wonder, how do we know ourselves better? John Calvin starts his institutes with a famous section um, that says, We can't know God without knowing ourselves, and we can't truly know ourselves without knowing God. As we know God's goodness and love and all the aspects of God's character better, we realize both how amazing it is to be created in God's image and to receive God's love, and we realize how we are not like God. We realize more of our own sin and weaknesses. And as we experience God's love and it sinks down deep into our souls, we know ourselves as beloved children of God. And as we know ourselves as beloved children of God, we also come to know God better in all of God's mysterious splendor. We can come to know God and ourselves better through soaking in the scriptures and time in prayer, through silence and solitude, through learning about how God has worked throughout history and learning about our own personality and temperaments. We learn about God and ourselves through counseling, through spiritual direction, through relationships with honest friends. As we know the goodness of God better and our own status as citizens of the kingdom of God, not rulers in the kingdom of God, we trust that God is making judgments about the world that are so much better than we are capable of. We can release ourselves from the need to judge because we trust in God's leadership of the kingdom of God. We accept God's good gift of care for us. As citizens of the kingdom of God, we're taking on the new culture of this kingdom. The culture of the kingdom of God has different values than all the earthly cultures that um, we live in and are affected by. One of the strongest values is God's love for the world, and especially for the people of the world. God's love extends so far to sending his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to live, suffer, die, and rise again because of his deep love for us. God offers us this amazing gift of love. Accepting that love then shapes our actions. It shapes the way we treat others, treating them the way we'd like to be treated. It shapes the way we pray, 
sitting in the presence of Jesus, receiving his good gifts for us. It shapes the way we know ourselves as people who do not have to have all the answers because God is the king of the kingdom of God. May we be people who accept God's gifts as we come to know ourselves and God more deeply. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Please pray with me. God, we are thankful for your good gifts to us. And we pray that you would show us how your deep love for us, how our identity as your people um, affects all of our actions and how we treat others, how we treat ourselves, how we interact with you. Give us the wisdom and discernment as we consider what you are calling us to in response to your deep love. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
In your bulletin, you'll find the text for the Apostles' Creed. Church, let us speak together these ancient words that summarize the great truths of our Christian faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. In the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. I listen to a podcast every Sunday that shares a eulogy that someone has sent in about someone that they love. I smile, sometimes cry, but I'm always inspired. I can't help but think, what will my husband or children or friends, what would they say at my eulogy? What do I hope that I have said or done that would be lasting and cherished by them? How was my love shown, and how did I inspire? Henry Nowen is quoted as saying, As our prayer deepens into a constant awareness of God's goodness, the spirit of gratitude grows within us. Gratitude flows from the recognition that who we are and what we have are gifts to be received and shared. Gratitude releases us from the bonds of obligation and prepares us to offer ourselves freely and fully for the work of the kingdom. So in other words, when we pray, we become more aware of God's love and that he gives us each day, which then increases our gratitude. And by our gratitude, we are motivated to give. So may we be a people who pray and by our prayers live lives of gratitude and offering that impact people everywhere that we go.
Lord, we are thankful for the gift of prayer, for the ability to talk with you and hear your spirit in our hearts. May we access you through prayer on a frequent basis. May this time of talking and listening open our eyes and our hearts to all that you are and have given us. May our minds and our souls be touched and turned to being grateful, grateful for all that we have. May we not take things for granted. May we not see our success and our ease as our own strength. May we know it is by you that we are able to be who we are this day. And may that acknowledgement make us so thankful that we want to share with others. We ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. As we began planning for today's service at Mayflower, what struck me in our preparation was the question, how many times throughout the course of our day are we honestly seeking God? At first, I tried to assure myself that God certainly knows how busy we all are. And yes, we do indeed need to stop and carve out more quiet one-on-one time for prayer. But then came the more insightful realization It's not an either-or situation between busyness and stillness. God is with us in the flurry of our daily activities, with his sleeves rolled up, actively walking alongside us, guiding our course and interaction with others. So seeking and praying to God needs to take place in all situations throughout our day. Let us now seek the Lord and call upon his name. Father of all, creator of both heaven and earth, through the work and wisdom of your Holy Spirit, stir the hearts of our Mayflower Church. You have blessed this congregation greatly, and throughout her life used Mayflower to be a blessing in return. But we also know that where Mayflower is today is not where you want her to remain for tomorrow. You gently nudge us, nurture us as you light the path before us, Little by little, you make us more fully into the church that you would have us be. So this morning, in the spirit of your bold invitation, ask and you shall receive, we ask. Lord, clear our minds of self-centered desire. Give us understanding of what to ask for. The world is filled with needs. Give us discernment to bring our energies to those places in our lives and in the world where we can serve you in these needs. Help us understand that no gesture or gift done in your name is too small to matter, nor too great to accomplish. Thankfully, you don't ask us to do this on our own. You give us the gift of our community here at Mayflower. Help us to care deeply for each other. And so we pray for our Mayflower family for hurts and needs and rejoicings, both spoken and unspoken. We pray especially this morning for Susan Jones' son's father-in-law, James Wisner, who is in North Carolina, paralyzed after a major fall. We pray, God, that you surround him with your healing and with your love. We conclude now with a prayer of an unknown soldier from our American Civil War who profoundly expressed our asking of God and God responding. I asked God for strength that I might achieve 
I was made weak, that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for riches, that I might be happy, and I was given poverty, that I might be wise. I asked for power, that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness, that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things, that I might enjoy life. I was given life, that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything that I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all people most richly blessed. And now let us pray as Jesus himself has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
I'd like to once again thank my sister, Ruth, Reverend Ruth Lemon, for ministering to us this morning. And it is one of my great privileges as your pastor to speak a word of blessing upon you as we leave on Sunday mornings. You might notice something slightly different, and it's not a typo. In the first half of the benediction, it's in bold. And if you followed along, everything in bold we do together, the second half is not. So I'd like to invite you to do something slightly different this morning with the benediction. Please join me in singing the first half, and then I will sing the second half as the blessing uh, to send you off. Remember to love one another and do what is pleasing to him. Be strengthened by grace and worship with reverence and awe the God of peace. And grace be with you all. And may the good shepherd of the sheep equip you with all things for doing his will. And grace be with you And grace be with you all. To wherever God has called you this week. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. We go forth in the name of Christ. Thanks be to God.